Welcome back to the Honor series for the Heritage Month. It's part of our focus on important aspects of our history. My name is Bernard Avle. Today we're continuing our conversation on the Angolan group, but we're sort of changing the discussion a bit. We're going to focus on Port Prisonstein is one of the most prominent relics of colonialism you would find in the Eastern Corridor. A lot of our ports are from the central to the western region, some in the greater Akka region. But Fort Prisenstein has been considered, or is considered one of the iconic relics because of its place, not just in colonialism, but even in the formation of the whole Angolan state. Because obviously there were some challenges and some fightings within the period, and the Angolan, uh, sorry, the, 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 the fort became emblematic of some of those uh, crossfires. So Kukuda Kranka is my guest. He's going to be walking us through a history of Fort Prisenstein. Kuku, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Very interesting. I visited Port Prisenstein in 2021, and I was told that about three-fifths of the, the fort had gone into the sea. Yes. It was a massive post. And I think it's the largest of the, the, the ports on the eastern side. Eastern. Is there a reason why there were more ports from the central to western region than there were closer to the Togo side? So if you take the Ghana coast, from Accra to Aplau, there aren't that many. But from, from Senyabreku to Takradi, there's a lot more. What's happening there? Yeah, so it tells you about the availability of resources that originally started the trade between West Africa, particularly Gold Coast, mm -hmm. and then Europe. Mm -hmm. So the availability of over 80 castles and forts mm -hmm. across the coast of Ghana alone, mm -hmm. with some of them eaten by the sea or others destroyed by the Europeans themselves during wars where they used their man of war to bomb some of them. That is why it has remained with now over just 20 or so forts and castles in Ghana. But prior to that, there were over 80 forts and castles across the coast of, that is from 1600s all the way to by 1850s. There were these forts and castles all over mm. because you talk about the areas you were mentioning there were a lot of castles it's availability of gold and also food crops in that area as opposed to immediately after Accra going where there were not so much farming activity particularly getting to the Keta areas or the Aron coast what you see is that as a uh, Tete Ashimedi of Afiede once said that there is no land that produce all everything by nature itself unless you deploy human beings because that area they didn't have abundant uh, agricultural resources nor mineral resources and that is why later on that coast all the way from uh, Keta or uh, Keta river or the water river hitting the sea all the way to uh, Benin will be called the slave coast because the major activity then become trading in human beings because they didn't have abundant agricultural and mineral resources as opposed to the coast all the way from half Asinin all the way to Accra. So if you look on the coast of Ghana, would you say Port Prinzenstein is the most prominent of all the forts east of Accra? Yes, that, that, that's it. And because it is also so because of the major role of the Aulo elite, particularly those in Keta, and the role they played in the transatlantic slave trade, as well as their unique relationship with the Asante hinterland. Oh, really? 
their, their unique relationship. So before we get into that, who built the Fort Prisonstein? So it was built by the Danes. And this occurred because there was inter-ethnic rivalry between the Anglos and then the other people over the control of the Songo Lagoon. So once ability to control salt at that time, there was a huge market to the hinterland where Ashanti and then other groups within the hinterland areas were in need of um, salt. And that salt is seen to be a, of quality type as opposed to going to Daboya in the north, which is the only place where the salt is also mined within the northern enclave into the Ashanti. Mm. But the one from the coast became the prestigious one. So there was a contestation for control over these resources. And that is what brought Ashanti's Akomu and others to the area to fight for control over the, uh, the white gold, which is the salt in the area. I see. So this was the background to this. But that, when did the Danes come there? When did they build this fort? So in this inter-ethnic work, why the British were supporting the, the other group from Ada and what have you to take and so on, the, this war created opportunity because they want themselves want to have control over their land. So during these wars, which end in the defeat of the Aono, then the Danes came in from the 1840s. They, they came in... Uh, um, 1784, and then they established the Fort Presenstein by the Danes at the time. 1784. Yeah, I see. Now you said there was a bit of rivalry between the larger Anglo group and Keta as a town. That's interesting because I thought in your previous show you were saying that the Anglo group, when they were led by Wenya and Siri. They founded Keji, they founded Keta, they founded Anglo. So they are the same people. Mm. So how come there was rivalry between the larger Anglo group and Keta as a, 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 a community? That is an interesting question. So the Keta people, because of their closeness to the sea, took advantage of the transatlantic slave trade. Mm -hmm. And so they made a lot of money. And some of their elites like Lawson's, Gerardo de Lima and others went to... Uh, uh, and uh, Togo side of uh, uh, what is today Togo. And they also traded there. So you see this uh, group of families trading in two areas. And some of them will even get married to other Africans from other countries, like the Awunos, who were originally, the Williams, for example, who came from Sierra Leone and came and settled there and traded there and made a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so their children will become the Awuno Williams, and some of them will come to Elmina and then also marry from there, and then they will become the Fanti Williams. So do you see the linkage between the Fanti Awuno Williams and then the other Awuno Williams. So the same people, they are children in two polities. Yes, that's interesting. I also noticed that there are some families like the Quist families who are both in the Anglo area and in Usu. And I noticed Christian Borg was also built by the Danes. Yes. So there's possibly a relationship between the Danish influence in the Anglo part, the Keta side, and also the Osu side. And you are right based on that, because the same Danes, so you find the late Justice Quest, his family members can be traced to Keta at the same time to Accra. So that was it. And you have the Renes too, who also traded the Unions, who also traded in uh, Keta and then in Central. So you have the Awuno Renes who are also there. So these trade activities created an exclusive group of elites who had power 
and money mm -hmm. and influence, which whose interest superseded the general Aurora territorial control. Mm -hmm. And as a result of this power, mm -hmm. they were able to declare their own autonomy within the Aurora states. Okay. So during the wars, Aurora wars between the Ada and then the Aurora, they decided to stay neutral in those wars because they were interested in making their money rather than to go and engage in a war where their resources will go to waste. So when this thing occurred, the Danes realized that these are neutral people, business-minded. This is the place which is conducive for building a fort. And that is why President Stein find its way in the Qatar. I'm told at some point, Qatar was like the capital of the eastern part of the Gold Coast for a long time. Yes. I've seen maps where you see vibrant trade activity. When you go to Qatar itself, you notice a lot of straight lines. You notice a lot. You, this, is a, this is a proper town. Yeah. In the in the 19th century. Yes. In fact, some the, some of the business enterprises and others have been eaten by. If I use late professor who knows where they see eat our land. So you realize that some of them have been buried by the activities of the heavy waves. So that place became a hub, a business hub within the southern uh, airway community. And what it created is that there were businessmen coming from the Ashanti hinterland, some from Elmina, who came to build businesses. So there were offices, people like businessmen from, infantry businessmen, even opening their I'm offices. Not, they are, they are Keta headquarters. Yes, headquarters for the trade there, particularly trade in palm oil and other things that they were passing through mm -hmm. the area. Mm -hmm. And so this created a, a capital as a hub, a commercial area. Um, within the Aulo community. Mm -hmm. But this, this did not only stop the, 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 the fire mm -hmm. in the Aulo group. One of these is that even just five years after the, uh, the burden or establishment of the Fort President's time, mm -hmm. an issue even occurred where one of the elders, Denjima Oso, was killed because of an uh, issue that happened between the um, the Qatar people or the Aurora people and the and the officials in the fort, which led to a killing of this man, and this led to the Airways or the Aurora people coming to besiege the place for the killing of one of their own. And what was the issue about? One of the chiefs, Jokoto Oso, was selling firewood to the Fort President Stein. And then when uh, uh, this guy went to make a skirmishes, one of them was arrested, and this gentleman was killed. And now once took offense, and then they staged a rebellion. And it might shock you even today that they, they Aunu could even put up over 6,000 to 7,000 warriors to go and fight against the, um, how do you call it, the Danes. So they, they, they are friendship was not just the way you would say that there was a total power of the Danes over the Aurora. No. There was an understanding the, yes, between the two groups. As you can see, most of other books talk about the fact that the Aurora's are warrior people, always ready to engage when their right is being infringed upon. So we see this situation in the relationship between the Danish castle of Presenstein and their Aurora neighbors within that friendship. Wonderful. We'll take a break. We're on the honor series for Heritage Month and today we're looking at the Fort Friesenstein, but we're using that to really discuss. So we learned a few things that the Keta group, because of the trade and the commercial nature of the place, they, they, they felt they were a bit different from the original Angola group or 
sort of. They even had some fights. And of course, there was also fights between the Anglo and the Ada over the control of the Songo Lagoon. The role of the Danes in building Fort, Fort Prisenstein and how later on, when we come back, we'll talk about how it was taken over by the British, its role in the slave trade with towns like Atoko within that area. And then what has been become of it now as economic activity moved uh, westwards. So you've spoken about the Keta as a commercial hub. You've given us some interesting histories there. But I'm told that the Danes and the uh, Anglo people had a fight. You said they mobilized 6,000 people to fight. But there was also a, a time where the Keta people fought against the Anglo people as well. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it is about an um, issue of power okay. relations between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And one of them particularly, we're talking about uh, an issue where uh, a guy called Josh Mora, mm -hmm. who was a slave trader, mm -hmm. when the Danes banned slave trade, by 1790s, mm -hmm. but it will take effect later on. So when this Joshua, this uh, Portuguese, mm -hmm. came to uh, purchase human beings, and there was a confrontation that he even shot the governor of the of the of the Prinzenstein called Hesi. Uh, okay, and this led to a fight. In this fight, those who were close to who see themselves as supporters of the area and the general and law people had to fight. So Hesse is a Danish name. It's a Danish name, yeah. Sergeant J.C. Hesse, commandant of Fort Prisenstein. I see. So in this one, so the fight got escalated so much that um, even the, gov the late governor there, who was there called Schmidt, Harry Schmidt, had to even flee from the fort. Wow. Okay, and move all the way to Fort Kevorko, which is now uh, uh, James Fort or Osha Fort. I'm even mixing it up. One of the Osha Fort have to flee. But what even saved him was the French, uh, French man of war was around there, and that shot and destroyed the Qatar Township as a result of this confrontation between them. So you see that the Anglos have uh, sorry the Qatar people have always sought to maintain their economic interest within the general ideals of the Aulo group. And this is bound to occur when there's a capitalist intentions of certain group of people to create their own autonomy. Mm -hmm. And these traders, some of them were chiefs. And there were other prominent ones, the list that we can talk about. Yeah. Some of the prominent but traders interesting. that so were there's there. A, this I find interesting. So, Keta Town was destroyed yeah. 23rd October 1847. Yeah. Now, 1847 is interesting for me because that was also the year that Lawrence Wolf, who was a German missionary, left Usu to Peki to preach his first sermon and start the what's now the EP Church. So I'm quite interested. <laughs> it's interesting that when he started the EP Church in Peki in 1847, he didn't win a lot of souls. And he, he, he sort of set up a mission and then he would set up two posts, one at Waya and the other at Keta. And I'm yeah. told that the first proper convert he got was from Keta. Yeah. So it's quite the coincidence that the fort was destroyed, the Keta town was destroyed in 1847. And of course, it was a few years later after that, that uh, Wolf will send uh, a mission to Keta. But I thought that was interesting. The yeah. same 1847. So if you go to the AP church, they will say the church was founded November 10, 1847. The same year that this violent confrontation occurred. <laughs> Two different things happening on the same date. Quite interesting as well. All right, now, so eventually the Danes will sell the fort. Yeah, they will sell the fort because um, they were making losses mm -hmm. across board. Mm -hmm. So they decided to sell all their properties. 
okay, to the British at 10,000 pounds all over. They so they saw the Cape Coast one, they sold uh, Christopher Castle, the one in uh, Shamar, and other properties that they own to the British. So when I went to Fort Princeton, the tour guy said to me that a lot of slaves from Togo, Benin, Nigeria were shipped. So basically they were saying that Elmina Castle was the western corridor or the western exit. And then Port Princeton was the eastern exit. So a lot of slaves from the eastern side were brought to a town called Atoko, yeah, where I'm they were resold and yeah. then sold through yeah. the, the fort. I don't know whether you, yeah. you have that. So what it is, is that you have to look at the great routes, those coming from Ashanti to the Volta Enclave, and those coming from the Eastern Corridor, that is from the Dahomey or Year Kingdom. They also have some forts there. But President Stein played a critical role because of its strategic position. So you find people coming from those slave traders from Abome, uh, Kavi, and then all those areas in uh, Gen areas, all coming to Keta to engage in trade because some of the families at Keta were the same businessmen who were also operating at that place. So you find Gerardo de Lima in the works of uh, and uh, Lawson's in those areas operating at the same time at Keta as mm. they are operating in the Togo coast as well as the Benin coast mm. at the time. So they were channeling the slave route all the way from there, this human cargo from there to Keta and mm. so on. And then the Ashanti group, who also found Qatar very strategic because in their wars to take over the northern areas or every domains, they found Sidame in Chiame areas at their war camp where they were able to also get a lot of warriors as well as powerful medicine men and recruit them all the way into Ashanti to be part of the Somankwai division of the Asante in his uh, state bureaucracy. Okay, so you find the famous Ashanti war general Edubafuo coming all the way to stay with Chief Temakulu at uh, uh, Qatar. And then he himself, if you look at his uh, names and appellation, they call Edubafuo Aunaba or Temakulu or Shukru or, Tem or Shukru because he came there. So many even believe that the name Temakulu evolved from Otamakulu, who is the one who is able to take towns by besiege. And so on. So he came to stand there, but I find that the Otamakro itself was an appellation for Edubafo, uh, and so on. So this shows you that mm. historically there has been a very strong ties bond between the Asante Kingdom and then the Aunlo group because they were friends. They never fought. They were in line, joining together to go and fight the other other group, which is the Vidume. So when uh, Tobi Kojodai of Peki was having all those problems, it was the joint wow. union between the Anglo elites and then the, the Ashanti friends fighting and then put a moving, plundering into the Evedome uh, 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 wow. and catching the people and selling them. So when they bring all these Ashanti traders come and settle at where the Domega Okujato's area is now called the Atoko, that was where the market was. So you come there and wow. put the human being. So you buy and you go. That is why the place is called Atoko. Water, not what they call. So they started there and founded that market as a slave market. And people come and purchase. And then they send it for their domestic, wow. as their domestic slaves, or send them into transatlantic slavery.
This is fascinating. So the Angolos and the Ashantis were actually very close. And yep. they rather ganged up against the Vedome and the other northern Eves, which I find interesting. Because originally in the story, there were three groups that split. So you'd have thought that the Angolos would defend their Vedome cousins. So, so, so you see over the which years... Is, you know, the, the, the last Uber Chucho, the uh, two and four was the guest of one of Tobe City. Yes, because the Ashantis and the Angolos have known long time that they are rather allies and not enemies as uh, political leaders have sort of created division to win group of people because politicians strive on division so the ability to whip wow. ethnic animosity will push people to think in a particular direction so that they can always draw wow. their support from but the traditional authorities they know these historic linkages between them Okay, that bonded them. So if for anything at all, it should be not in Evidomens, which will have problem not only with the Asantes, but with the Southern Angron, who were in collusion against their interests historically. So we are told in 1850, the fort was sold to the British for 10,000 pounds. And then Anglo technically came under British, British influence. So from Danish, so very similar to Christian Borg Castle. Yeah. So the Danish sold all their interest in the British. It was all at the same time. So okay. if you look into the history of wherever the Danish properties were, when they sold it, that same date was the date all the changes took place across the coast okay. at the time. I want to look at some of the names of the Anglo slave traders and I have friends with such names. So Influencer and lastly, for include the Tamaklo of Buti. Buti, yes. Bomiklo of Alakple. Yeah. Uh, Ajololo. <laughs> Jerry Ajololo. <laughs> Ajololo and Dokuchu of Atoko. Uh, yeah. Bojo of We. John Tay. Yeah, Tay. Of Jelukofe mm -hmm. and Azaho. And Potaki and Ahosi of Tegbi. Yes, these were major, major players. So and some of them will take their. Uh, they are, uh, they are European partners, they are named. Okay, like a couple who will later become Gerardo de Lima. And people think he's a white man. So you right. see all these people. In fact, Chief Akolache was also a major slave trader in all these things, in addition to some of these names. Wow. So you see their children. This, when we talk about elite succession, some of the names you mentioned, you, because of the trade that give influences and money, to these people, Education they continue yeah. to you know reproduce themselves mm -hmm. and what we call when you study elite uh, succession among themselves and their children are today those highly educated people. These are the names: the Ajololo, Tamaklo, Te. There's also Oklu. There's also Koshiga. Mm -hmm. These are all very big names in the area. Mm -hmm. We are told that in 1856, the fort was abandoned. Yes, the fort was abandoned because, as I was telling you, after the slave trade, the area then, the major thing that the fort presents time, had always relied upon mm -hmm. was the slave trade. Mm -hmm. And as I've explained, agriculturally, the place was not conducive within the Anglo territory. Mm -hmm. And most of the trade that was uh, coming to the place was from the northern Everland, where they, they have a major agricultural resources. But the, after the slave trade, the major trade went into palm oil production, rubber, as well as gold. Wow. And this, and a lot of people did not have it. Mm -hmm. So all the trade that ought to come there were channeled to Accra, to the central region areas where the Ashanti and then the safety areas that have these mm. uh, uh, rich 
arable lands mm. were producing wow. a lot of agricultural products and mm. passing them through wow. those forts could not find its way into the Qatar area. Wow. So the fort then became, uh, it was underperforming or operating uh, Under below its capacity. Wonderful. Thank you. That was amazing. Fort Riesenstein, 1859, became the beginning of its decline. We've been talking to Kuku Dakwankra about the fort. This is a two-part series. The first part was about the history of the Angolan, and the second part has been about the fort. We'll be right back with more on another episode. Thank you for watching. <laughs>